So finally, several months down the line and when all the regulators and all of those people come in and force the company, they file a balance sheet after a long delay. And what we find out that now that huge cash rich company, cash generating machine is saddled with a billion dollars of debt. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Dr. Vikas Gupta. Dr. Vikas, are you ready to rock? Absolutely, Andrew. All right, let me tell the audience a bit about you. Vikas founded OmniScience Capital to provide a scientific approach to global and India-listed equity investments. Together with his team, he formulated the proprietary scientific investing framework, which stands on the strong foundations of nearly 100 years of investment research and practice. While his exposure to the capital market can be traced back to the 1990s, he has a long track record of investing since 2003 onwards, based on the value investing philosophy developed by Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett. The practical experience of investing over the various ups and downs of the markets was supplemented by a relentless thirst for learning from other investment greats. Scientific investing is the result of this trial by fire over decades. Vikas has earlier incubated the global listed equities vertical at Arthveda Capital, which won international awards and ranking. Besides, he successfully obtained a U.S. SEC license for the firm with a vision of operating in the U.S. markets. He led advanced discussions and or inked agreements with leading state exchanges, asset management firms, and research firms across the globe, including from the U.S. and Europe. He has a bachelor's in technology from Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, and has earned his master's and doctorate from Columbia University, New York. Vikas, please take a moment and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Thank you, Andrew. That was great. Just like to fill in a couple of relevant points from our viewpoint that I got exposure to technical analysis in the late 80s. Didn't learn anything, just knew there's something called technical analysis. In early 90s at Columbia, probably learned derivatives from the best professor there, but didn't practice anything about it. Saw the dot-com boom and burst during the late 90s. And that's when I got introduced to fundamental analysis. And at that time, where were you at that time when the dot-com bust happened? Yes, so dot-com boom, I was in the US. And by the time it was uh, nearly going to burst, I had just moved back to Mumbai. Got it. Okay, fantastic. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, <laughs> tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yes, yeah, so I'll just build up a little bit of more background because that is very important to understand how I got sucked into this investment, right? So, so somewhere between 2000 to 2003, around the bust, is when I got deeply exposed to fundamental analysis. When naturally everyone practically gets started via Buffett, 
right? So got exposure to Buffett, then Graham, Templeton, Peter Lynch, Fisher, Munger, Keynes. So now you know where I'm going with this when I say Fisher, Munger, Keynes. So that starts going into the more concentrated focus investing kind of scenario. While Graham Templeton, that is more Lynch is more of a diversified kind of investments. But besides this, you also get exposed to when you do all of this, you also get exposed to concepts which Buffett is known for, which means buying monopoly growth companies at a discount. That concept is also very strongly associated with Lynch or Fisher. On the grand side, it's buying stocks below book value or cash on hand. Then there's special situations of spin-offs, etc. So all of this was the background. But what attracted me the most was looking for monopolistic growth companies. And then, as I mentioned, because of the idea of concentrated investing, which Munger keeps talking about, saying, you know, Buffett keeps saying you should not have more than 20 investments in your whole lifetime, right? A Fisher probably never actually bought more than 15 stocks in his whole lifetime for him as and his clients put together. Munger goes to the extreme of saying he's proved to himself that just three stocks are sold. And Keynes was actually one of the first guys to do that on concentrated investing the great economist, yeah? So all of this was a heavy influence. The thing which balanced me out was probably Graham Templeton Lynch, who were very strong on large diversification. Templeton actually bought 100 stocks when he began investing, right? All these stocks both below book value, he bought 100 of those, borrowing $10,000. So Graham was extreme diversification. Lynch had 1,400 stocks in his portfolio, right? 1,400? Uh, yes, Lynch I didn't had. know that because, <laughs> I mean, I was just talking to someone about Peter Lynch and the idea that he was not wedded to any particular strategy. He would go for growth companies. He would go for a special situation. He would go through anything, but 1,400, that's crazy. <laughs> So, so he had 1,400. He, of course, he, he clarified that 200 of them were real positions, only 200. And the remaining were tracker positions where he would keep observing the companies, which means small, tiny positions. But he gets to keep uh, getting the annual reports and then all the, you know, notifications of what is, what is happening. So, and despite, you know, typical understanding is that if you're highly diversified, you don't get great returns. Lynch is a proof that, you know, you have very large number of stocks and still you're able to have great returns, right? So somewhere the Fisher, Munger, Keynes was got balanced by Graham, Templeton, Lynch, and I compromised on a 10 stock portfolio, Okay that it's concentrated enough and it's diversified enough at that point of time. And I thought this makes sense. And even there, I would start not allocating to all the stocks at the same time, but you know, finding what is the best stock today and then allocating 10%. So that was the idea. And then 
I come across this great investment, classic Buffett playbook, right? Media company. So what he calls toll booth investments, right? So actual toll booths and then the media companies, the newspapers, where if any other firm wants to reach their target segment, which is the readership of the newspaper or the media, they have only a near monopoly to go through and they have to pay whatever the media company asks them. And so this was a classic Buffett investment, media company with complete dominance, one of the few English speaking media companies in India, which was listed, highly concentrated in a particular region, in a particular city, and with a huge expansion possibility in the neighboring states, which they have already started. And so this is high returns on capital, all of the pricing power, all the indicators of a strong monopoly. So there's no doubt about that. It had a huge growth possibility in front of it. That was not a problem. So, so it ticked all the boxes and it was available at a discount to intrinsic value. Oh, how could this go wrong? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So this was the most perfect, you know, fantasy dream investment ever. Mm. Right. And I look at this and again, so despite that well-trained by Graham, right? So don't jump in, further do your more due diligence. So I call up people, I get all the circulation figures, I do the valuation on not just the financials, but on per subscriber basis, per reader basis, all, all everything which you could do. Further due diligence from advertising professionals who have worked, you know, or interacted with the firm, etc., etc. So everything is now done and your 10% is invested. And the brilliance, as I said, I'm an innovator in, in this field of the worst investment. So as soon as I invest, the annual report is supposed to come out within two or three months because the fiscal year was just going to end. And what happens? The company delays filing its balance sheet. Okay. And I say, that's fine. They've just done a huge buyback. It was completely debt-free, cash-rich company. So maybe there is some problem. No problem. Let's just wait it out. Anyway, I keep waiting it out. Find out the directors have resigned. Some stock has gone practically to zero. And so there's no point in now trying to exit it either. So that's where we ended up. So wait a minute. Uh, so I got to understand that. So there... You bought it, you're waiting for the first annual report, it gets delayed, but the yes. company is in good, it's not, doesn't have debt, but then what happens? What's the next yeah, so, thing that so, happens? Yes, yeah, so I missed out a couple of things. I'll just point out those things as well of what a perfect investment it was. So it had a, a regular newspaper, it had a financial newspaper as well, which was even more of a rarity in India, right? And it had a hidden value, hidden assets, one of them being Premier League cricket team. Okay, there were only eight of those teams and it owned one of those teams. The market cap was less than even the valuation of that team itself. Okay, so this is the background. Now I go and buy it and the next annual report is not available. 
okay and the company is delaying what has happened so finally you know several months down the line and when all the regulators and all of those people come in and force the company they file a balance sheet after a long delay and what we find out that now that huge cash rich company cash generating machine is saddled with a billion dollars of debt okay and the market cap was around a billion dollars now the whole thing is loaded with debt okay and, and how did that debt get there exactly so there you know it's absolutely no corporate governance or they were forced into it i don't know or those are views of opinions which i can share but what happened probably is that the owners were linked politically with someone so this is the speculative part and they needed they were forced to pay out a lot of money for that they used these assets and many other assets which were not even part of this company and they went ahead and from the top class lenders you know the public sector banks the private sector banks the non banking financial institutions they borrowed from a number of very well known institutions they securitized the same assets twice or thrice to different lenders the shares were pledged to various lenders but the debt was bought on the books on behalf of all us great shareholders and you are suddenly now loaded with as much debt as the valuation of the company so how did you exit it what was the ending of that so you you lose all the money that's there's, it there's no yeah absolutely there's no no option of doing anything else But was it point, delisted or yeah go ahead yeah the point is despite all this that company the newspaper still exists all of that is still there they lost the premier league franchise so that went for zero dollars but the media the financial newspaper all of that still exists but the shareholders are at nil mm. so what lessons did you learn from this experience yeah so the most important lesson i learned is that you can do all the due diligence you can do all the analysis all the valuation finally you are at the mercy of the management and finally you know in this particular case that's what happened but in general something could go wrong okay even in the most perfect investment it could be something internal it could be something a regulator does it could be something which a competitor does it could be a disruption we don't know but even with the most perfect investment things can go wrong and when that goes wrong you should be prepared to lose 100% of your capital in that investment which means despite whatever the greats including charlie munger saying that three investments are good enough it's not okay so the best of the best can tell you that do not learn wrong things from the best okay and just by the way i mean munger does not have a three stock portfolio he claims he has a three stock portfolio but one of those stocks is berkshire which has more than 100 stocks inside it right so first of all do not have a highly concentrated portfolio because your perfect investment could still go to zero 
So be prepared for losing 100% of your capital in some part of your portfolio. Even a 10 stock portfolio to my mind is highly concentrated. Somewhere between 20 to 30 stocks is what makes sense to me. So which means something like a four to 5% maximum exposure to a single stock. Mm. So, I mean, that is my conclusion, but the people can decide on their own how much are they willing to lose on a particular investment, right? And assuming that it goes to zero. And then that's how you do your max allocation or the number of positions. Got it. All right. Well, let me summarize what I took away from your story and let me know if I missed anything. I think my takeaway, the first takeaway is to remember that anything can go wrong. And there are uncontrollables that no matter how much work you do, it's life. Life goes wrong all the time, even though we think we're able to control it. So in order to prepare for that, what I'm learning from you is make sure you don't have too much riding on any one thing, any one person, any one investment, you know, doing well because you just never know. The second thing I take away from it, which is something I always remind people is don't trust what other people say particularly when it comes to investing. It's just too much of an emotional topic. People's memories, people's ideas are, are not clear. And you've given an example of Charlie Munger as an example where you may see a professional out there saying, you know, a lot of times a professional will get up and they'll talk about one or two stocks. They may say they've got only a few stocks in their portfolio. But, you know, you may not realize that that portfolio is 10% of their overall wealth. So they've actually diversified, but in their stock portfolio, they're really concentrated. You know, we just, you, you never know the truth behind what people are saying. So never literally take what they're saying. And as I always say, when people say about their performance, or whatever, I say, please prove that. Can you prove that? Can you, you know, show me what you're talking about? And I always say that people never talk about their losers. They want to talk about their winners. The benefit of this show is that people like yourself with tremendous experience come on and say, it's okay to go through our losers. And so those are the two big, I mean, you've, you've already highlighted about, about the other parts of it, but those are the two things I'd take away. Anything you'd add? No, no. I think that that's about it. That make up your own mind, listen to everyone, even the greats, but make up your own mind and Remember black swans, so unknowns and unknowables. So despite all the due diligence, you never know what can go wrong. Got it. And I actually did an academic paper that I published, and it was about if we wanted to get the benefit of diversification and knowing that most people, will, most people own you know, one or two or three stocks because they just don't know about diversification. But I tried to look at the trade-off between risk and return with stocks in Asia. And what I found was that kind of the optimal point is 10. By 10 stocks, you've diversified away maybe 75, 80% of the company-specific risk. Mm -hmm. So if any individual investor comes to me and says, you know, give me some advice, I'm not exposed to the market right now, I'd say minimum 10 stocks. Absolutely. And I also say if someone's a real beginner, why not buy an index fund or ETF where you own every stock and then slowly build that 10 stock portfolio side by side 
so that you have the diversification in that, just like you mentioned about how Berkshire Hathaway is a diversified investment. So that's something that I've done some work on and I think a lot about. All right, so based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Think about that young man or woman out there right now in India, in America, in Thailand, and that person is getting excited about reading about all about investing. They've applying the principles. They're getting ready to make that investment. What one piece of advice would you give them? Yes. Yeah, so if they have hundred dollars, I would not start with more than, and then this is very similar to your advice that put $90 in an ETF and put $10, $1 each into 10 positions so that you start first understanding what's going on. As a beginner, of course, you can't buy 20 stocks because you don't have time or ability to analyze so many. So you start with 10, but allocate only a very tiny portion to that so that don't lose any money. You just pay for your tuitions, pay for your coaching, right? On trial by fire. That's one advice I would give. And definitely be prepared to lose all of that money. Got it. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? So next 12 months, see right now the Indian markets are a little bit difficult and the US markets are doing well, but people are expecting, you know, when trade war or whatever other things can create trouble in the markets. So my next 12 months is completely focused on the portfolio, especially next three to four months, get the portfolio stabilized, make sure everything is right in the portfolios. And then maybe go around, you know, talking to clients to raise more money. So raising more money is secondary. Getting the performance right is, is primary for the next 12 months. And for the listeners out there that aren't as experienced as you, getting the portfolio right, I suspect, means making sure that you're in the stocks that may not, if, if the U.S. was to come down or something or trade war or whatever, that you're owning the stocks that would go down less in that type of situation. Is that what you mean? Well, so we're not completely defensive. Definitely, you know, you want to make sure that you don't have stocks which can go down too much. But also we are positioning aggressively because we do not believe that, that it's a very strong situation for a recession or anything. But we think it's substantial chances. So, so be prepared for that. But have a lot of aggressive positions as well. Aggressive as in aggressive as in the fundamentals are very strong and the valuations are at significant discounts. So these are growing companies, have a lot of that, probably tech, okay? But well-chosen tech, not the overvalued portion of tech. Great. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we part, Vikas, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, and that was a big one. But our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Absolutely. Keep going back to Intelligent Investor. That's my main parting advice. If you're investing in the stock market and you don't have that by your side, get it. Mine is within arm's reach. So great advice. Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. You can get it on Amazon. 
easily as an ebook or at any bookstore around. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.